Hello and welcome to Pre-Published. I'm Sophia. In this episode, I talk to Sheena Wilkinson about writing history, how to find your discipline as a writer, and her work with the Arvon Foundation. One of the strange advantages of the new ways of working is that I can now talk to other writers wherever they're based. Sheena, who's a friend and fellow YA writer, lives in Belfast. As a history writer, she talks to me about how Irishness and Northern Irishness has informed her work. Sheena and I did a training course together last year with the Royal Literary Fund to teach academic writing skills, and I saw in practice what a talented and encouraging teacher she is. She's someone whose calm, confidence and experience can make any nervous new writer start to feel as if they can indeed conquer the mountain, whether it's a book, a short story or an academic essay. Sheena's obviously disciplined in the way she researches plans and writes, but she also talks about the importance of capturing the careless rapture of when it's going well. Perhaps it's this combination that means she's been nominated for and won many awards. We recorded this episode in June 2020. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Sheena, good morning. It is lovely to talk to you. It's lovely to talk to you, Sophia. <laughs> I'm I'm actually sitting in the room where where you sleep when you come to stay. Which oh, how lovely! Now become my workroom, and we're doing this weird. It's a lovely thing room <laughs> where, where you're it's in. A very cozy room. Thank you very much. Cos- cozy is useful for recordings. Um, yes, I hope I've left some good vibes behind for you. Uh, you have. Do you know? I'm actually. I, I was just sort of noticing this subconsciously. I'm looking at the necklace that you kindly gave me the last time Aww. I saw you. So it feels like a lucky charm. That's nice. Um, yes. And and you're in Northern Ireland, which just, it feels I'm, next door and also a long way away. Yes, I'm in rural Northern Ireland. Um, I'm actually not at, at home. Um, I'm sort of in lockdown at my at my partner's house, which is, um, yeah, so it's, it's out in the country. It's nice and quiet. Um, I miss my mountains and my forests and my coastline, but it's, it's pretty nice around here. And um, most importantly, I am actually able to get some writing done, which I never thought I would do in somebody else's house. So that's, that's been a bit of a, a bit of a learning curve for me, but it's been fine. That is quite impressive. I mean, I know so many people who haven't been able to write in lockdown. It, they're just, the creativity doesn't come to them. I couldn't at first. Um, I found it really, really difficult. And then I started writing something which I'd had in mind for a while. It's an adult novel. And it's set in the 1930s and it's probably a bit lighter than maybe what I normally write. And at first it was a real struggle. I was really sort of just forcing myself to do a thousand words a day, five days a week, which is, you know, fairly modest. Mm. And then that sort of magical thing happened about maybe 25,000 words in (laughs) where it sort of became a thing. Yes. And then I was starting to think about it and wanting to get back to it. And then, very importantly, I told my agent about it because I'm writing this completely on spec. Yeah. And she was much more enthusiastic about it than she has been for my last couple of projects, which have been adult projects, which so far haven't sold. Mm. So um, that kind of also galvanized me. And... um, yeah, and, and then finding that I could, I always I was probably a bit precious about my work, you know, because I live on my own, I live in the country, I have a study, I always work in the study, I'm not the kind of person, you know, I don't, I don't write on the sofa with my laptop or in bed or anything like that, I yeah, have to be you're very in the study with my cup of tea, with, you know, all my things around me, and obviously that's that's not really an option at the moment, so I'm in somebody else's house although it's it does feel you know like it is a home from home Mm. um 
but weirdly, and I wrote an article about this um, just this week for, for the Royal Literary Fund, I had imagined that what I would do would be to try and sort of recreate a little space of my own within the house to write. Yes. And it's a big house and there's there's a dining room which we don't really use very much and it sort of juts out from the side of the house. It's, it's like a sunroom. And I thought, well, I'll, you know, I'll just sort of colonise the, the dining room table and it'll become my little space and it'll be like a bit of a sort of a writing retreat. But actually, I tend to write at the kitchen table um, <laughs> yeah. with my partner at the other end of the table playing the guitar. I put in earphones and listen to classical music, which, again, you know, I always thought I have to work in complete silence. So I'm finding that I'm being pushed out of my comfort zone but I'm finding that I can write in conditions that I didn't really think I could write in. So that, that's that been quite good for me. But I totally get people finding it difficult to write at the moment because it's, um, it, you know, it definitely is harder. I'm interested that you're writing something lighter than usual as well. Um, I, I'm, fi- I'm writing something fairly light anyway. You know, it's a sort of light crime. Uh, and, and I find that enormously helpful yes. <laughs> to, 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 to go somewhere better yes. than where we are now. Um, are you finding the same kind of thing? It's interesting it hasn't pulled you into a darker writing place. Well, it's, it's, um, it's, it's lighter in the sense that it's... Um, yeah it's lighter in the sense it's probably it's more romantic than anything I've written before so I suppose it's lighter in that sense but um I my last three novels have been my last three published novels have been historical fiction for for teenagers Mm -hmm. and they've all been about young women coming of age at very sort of turbulent times in in Irish history and I knew that this book, which is an adult book, would be set in the 30s. And, uh, but I also knew that I wanted it to be lighter. I didn't want to have to really engage with politics very much. So I, I removed my heroine from Ireland and I've set it in a fictional town in England. Oh, wow. Um, okay. I know, which I've never done before. <laughs> yes. Um, and, but the thing is, because it's the 1930s, <laughs> you know, darker themes are, are creeping in. Yeah. Um. You can't really avoid that, and there, there's, there's a sort of a, a big sort of element in the story at the moment is about sort of they wouldn't have called it sexual politics in the in the thirties, but that that's what it is. Um. My heroine is is assaulted by a man, and um. So actually, there's a lot. You know, I'm sort of putting a lot of of so, so stuff that I've been thinking about recently about sort of gender politics and Me Too and. Um, also sort of a lot of themes about of sort of loneliness and isolation and um and marriage and you know, all kinds of things are sort of finding their way into the book and it's um it's probably not as light as I intended it to be <laughs> yes oh it sounds yeah I'm looking forward to reading that one I'm really Good. interested with what you had to say about the 25,000 words I, I often quote to students uh, an Imagine program that Alan Yentov did with Ian Rankin years ago right and uh, Ian saying you know he was on his something like his his 25th um, book of the, the series can't think of his yes. um, inspector's name now um, and uh 
he said, you know, each time you know, I come up with a story and I, I start writing and I'm really excited and then I just get to a certain point when I realise that this time I've made a hideous mistake and <laughs> it's just not going to work. And, you know, you right. think I would know how to do it by now, but no, this one is this one is just broken. And he says, and I go to my wife and I, and I explain all of this to her and I'm really sad and I'm going to have to give the advance back. And she says, how many thousand words are you in? And he looks mm-hmm. at the word count and it's 25,000 oh, words yes. <laughs> every time for him. That's really interesting. Um, whereas for you, it was a bit of a breakthrough in a good way I think partly because I hadn't um I hadn't actually planned it very much I mean maybe we'll go on to talking about the whole kind of planning thing mm. um I find that I I plan less and less <laughs> as, as as the books go on and because of that I've every you know every so often I've sort of surprised myself with something happening that I didn't necessarily expect to happen and it's really really worked or at least in my kind of first draft euphoric haze, I think it's working. Um, and that has really kept the momentum going. Sometimes if I overplan, I think, you know, it, it, that can take away a little bit of that sort of careless rapture and excitement. But oh, for me, like, every yeah. single book is different. I don't have a, I don't have sort of a one strategy that works for all my books. Well, I, 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 let's talk about this. I, I find this really interesting. I was just teaching plotting last week and um, talking about plotters and pantsers. Yes. And I have an emerging theory about so-called pantsers. Ooh, <laughs> I'm tell, a plotter. Tell. See, I started off as somebody who just wrote by the seat of my pants. Absolutely. But mm-hmm. I, I had that Ian Rankin moment at 5,000 words every time. So I would, I would go into a story with joy and I was so happy about it. And I knew how it would end, but I would get 5,000 words in. And then I would genuinely realise that it was broken. It was never going to work. And I would stop. And so I found that plotting in quite a lot of detail, even if I didn't follow the plot precisely, yes. that got me over that hump. And I've stayed with quite detailed plotting ever since. And now I'm writing crime novels and it it is pretty hard. But interestingly, many of the pantsers that I know, the people who still write by the seat of their pants, are crime novelists. So Val McDermott has talked about writing that way. Yes. Um, P.D. James apparently wrote the first half of a book without knowing who did it, then worked it out. Yes, I know. I always find that. that I always find that really... I've heard her say that, and, yeah. and uh, it's so hard to, you know, I don't, I don't believe her, but it's it's incredible because her books are are so they seem to be so well plotted and so so mechanically and put so together. intricate. I know exactly yeah. that much better word. Um, and Lee Child, you know, absolutely extraordinary. But reading um, Reacher said nothing by Andy mm-hmm. Martin about his writing process. Yeah, it's just write write like a reader. But my emerging theory, which I'm going to apply to you two, okay, is, because you are a multi award winning writer, Sheena, is that Thank people. You. Who who do this well are actually great plotters who have plotted before, who know, who just have plot in your veins. And so you can afford to, I love your idea of careless rapture, but at the back of your writer mind, you you know how to build up towards a climax and you know how to create moments of tension and you know where roughly that needs to happen and what needs to happen afterwards. Do, do you think that's true? It's... It, I, I'd like to think it was true because it sounds quite flattering. <laughs> um, yes, I think I think there probably is something in that. It's like um, I always write, you know, the kind of, you know, shitty first draft. Mm. Um, but I do think that my shitty first drafts are not as shitty now as they would have been 10 years ago when I was first published. Because, you, I mean, you do, you, you have... 
you do get an instinct for how a story works, don't you? But 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 you know it it can it can let you down. I mean, my my most recent novel, Hope Against Hope, um, was much much harder to write than Star by Star, its predecessor. Um, Star by Star, the story just kind of more or less just sort of downloaded itself in, into my mind, right? And I more or less followed that. Whereas with Hope Against Hope, now to be fair, it was against a much much more difficult political background which was the um division of ireland the partition of ireland and the um the first elections in in northern ireland as as a well it's not really a state but you know as a as its own kind of jurisdiction yeah so a it was much more complicated than 1918 and b a lot less sexy really (laughs) yes um so maybe because of that, maybe I was so sort of overwhelmed by that that I actually found it very difficult to to get the story right. And um, and I know that this this podcast is listened to by a lot of pre-published writers. So I'm hoping that they that they might find some comfort in this. That the the book as published, I'm I'm very proud of. I I think it's my best book. My publisher thinks it's my best book. Mm-hmm. Um, but. It didn't come easily. And in fact, the first, the, not the first draft, but the draft that I first submitted to my publisher, who I've worked with for 10 years, who knows me very well, who, you know, there's a, a lot of mutual trust and respect there. Um, she's the she's also writer Siobhan Parkinson. Um, the, that, that draft, she, um, you know, she, she, she found very problematic. And um, basically it was back to the drawing board. Wow, and okay. I rewrote the book with a different main character. Golly, that really is quite a, quite a big change, isn't it? Wow. Huge okay. change. Huge change. And it was very much to the book's benefit. So the first draft became notes for the second draft? Was it like that? That sort of Well thing? when I say it was a first draft, I mean this was it was not a first draft. I mean this is this was I, I never send a first draft to a publisher. It was about the fourth draft. Um yeah, yeah. and yeah, I, I basically well, basically what happened was I scrapped the first half of it because it was a now completely different main character, and I thought, oh god, I'm going to have to rewrite this whole thing. But actually, once I'd established a new main character who who had been a character in the first book, but but you know she was maybe mentioned two or three times. Right. Once I made her the central character then an awful lot of the stuff in the first book that wasn't quite working did work. Yeah, yes. If that makes sense. Yes, it really does. So it was totally back to the drawing board, but actually what was on the drawing board was more than just was more than just notes. But, I mean, don't get me wrong, it was... I handed the book in in April and I got this editorial letter in June mm-hmm. and... I basically had to rewrite the book by August. <gasps> yeah. And if fast. I'd been a less experienced writer, I I think I'd have I don't know what I'd have done, but I'd have I'd have really sort of balked at that. Whereas because I had, you know, this is my eighth novel, I was able to say right. Okay, I've got this number of weeks. Mm-hmm. I need to do this number of words. I need to be at a first draft by such and such a date in, in order to have time to to fix it. And actually, when I did hand it into my publisher she loved it and we just went straight to copy edits she'd absolutely you know she she, there was nothing in the story or the plot 
or the characterization that, that she wasn't happy with. So it, it was worth it was worth the hard work. <laughs> oh, I do hope, as you say, I hope listeners find that inspiring. I, I would have found it very helpful 10 years ago. Just to know that it's possible, to know that it does happen to good writers, that it's it's not it's not saying that your work is terrible. It's just saying try a new direction and, and find yeah. something else yeah. in it. And that can be a great thing. I, I found it liberating when I did a, a screenwriting course to be told, you know, you can change anything. You can change the main yes. characters, the sex, yes. The, yes. Uh, w- whether the, the the sidekick, you know, is, is a dog or a fox or a rabbit, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> yeah. whatever needs to happen or, or take them out. Um, I think, don't think it went as far as to say take out the main character, but as we've now heard, you can even do that. Um, hugely, hugely helpful to know how brave one can be with one's own work if that's what needs to happen. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what, what happened was I wasn't, what helped was the fact that this was somebody who had been my editor for 10 years. Mm. Oh, so yeah. when she said, I'm sorry, but this isn't working. I mean, it was a huge dunt. But once I sort of got over the huge dunt, I thought, right, well, I have to trust her. Yes. And when I thought about it and I got back to her, you know, I, I left it for the weekend didn't respond. Oh yes, it was very wise. Very, very wise. <laughs> let, let the pain sink and die before Definitely. you get back to it. So by the time I got back to her the following week, I was able to say, okay, obviously, you know, this is, I'm disappointed in this reaction, but I'm taking it on board. Um, I think the best thing is to have a completely new main character. And she, she, she sort of said, oh gosh, that's more drastic than I'd imagined, but I sort of trust your instinct. And she, she's a very good editor in that she, she she's very, very blunt um, really blunt but that also means that when she says you know this is brilliant or I love this then you can sort of um, you can take that at face value as well and yeah so uh, you know I think she she trusted my ability to do something so drastic and I trusted her to that if she said it wasn't working then it, it wasn't working and once I once I got it right, I, I think I, I got it really right. And I'm, I'm so pleased now that nobody will ever see <laughs> the version that I... The practice I, version. The practice version, yes. Um, I'm so fascinated that, uh, you know, here we are, we're, we're 20 minutes in and we haven't talked about the actual books that you have published. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about process. Um, and perhaps that's because... Uh, process know, we, we, we is so both... interesting, isn't it? Is. it? And th- it that's what I yes. love about this podcast is that... Um, it's very much about about process, and uh, you know, I, I people often do. They want to talk about what you've published. They want to talk about, you know, your characters or your themes or whatever. And and you know, all of that is very interesting. But if I'm listening to um, a writer talk about a book, if I haven't read the book, unless it's maybe like a new book by a writer that I really like, if I haven't read the book, I find it actually quite boring to hear mm. about it. Whereas I'm always interested in hearing about a writer's process, whether I have read their books or not. Yes, my ears always twit, twit, prick up then as to what can I steal? <laughs> what can I yeah. steal from this process and use myself? What can I learn? Absolutely. And quite often, because um, uh, I, I walk, you know, I, I walk every day. And if I'm walking on my own, um, I will usually listen to some kind of podcast, sometimes yours, but obviously <laughs> other podcasts are available. But one of the things that I listen to an awful lot, I think I've pretty much exhausted them now, but there's such a wonderful archive of Desert, archive of Desert Island Discs. And I love just listening to writers, particularly writers from years and years ago, just, just talking. Quite often I'll, 
have a, a you know I'll be at a bit of a difficult stage in my own work and maybe sort of a bit stuck on something and I'll go and listen to and it could be a completely random writer it could be a writer whom I don't know very well yeah but just something that they say would just really chime with me and I think oh gosh and I go back to my desk and it has really really helped yes and often for me as you were saying just now it's them saying that they found something difficult definitely <laughs> yes feel so much better that just because it's difficult doesn't mean to say that you can't move beyond it and, and well, enjoy it Well, if it was later. easy, everybody would do it. I mean, sometimes it feels as if everybody is doing it. But... <laughs> <laughs> Particularly now. How many lockdown oh, books God. are you going to get? I know, I know. <laughs> um, however, I, I do want to talk about your your work with, with other writers um, at Arvon and we're both fellow yes. RLF fellows and all of that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we do that, let, let us talk about some of these, these books. Um, the one that I yes, have read I'm most recently happy to. is Star by Star. And um, yes, mind you, I love the fact I haven't read this one that you've you've written a middle grade book called Too Many Ponies, which, God, I mean, that <laughs> I would have just killed for a book. My called only Too books Many have been published in Australia. <laughs> Such yeah. a good title. Do you tell me a little bit about why there were too many ponies and what they had to do about it? Um, well, because it was set on a it was set on a a rescue a, a horse. What do you call it? Like a sanctuary, a sanctuary yeah. for horses. And they had, you know, too 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 many horses and uh, not enough resources. Um, <gasps> oh, no. So it, it's it's it was it was it's quite a. I mean, all my books are quite gritty. So you know, it was um, it was a, it was a kind of it was a pony book. What I did was I love pony books. Um, I love school stories, and those are the books that I sort of very much grew up. Did with. you read the Jill and Jill books I, when you were growing up? The, oh, absolutely, they're hilarious. The Jill Stankana, they're, and all they're of those. so funny. Yeah, yeah, that was me. So funny, but um. With too many ponies, I wanted to sort of write a traditional pony book, but with very modern themes. So it's about bullying. The main character is bullied at school because he's a boy who's interested in ponies, and um, yeah, and then the whole kind of cruelty to animals and that kind of thing. So it was it it had pretty sort of gritty themes, and also I wanted to. I mean, I I, I had a horse for ten years, um, so I was very into horses, and you know they're a big big part of my life at the time that I was writing the book, and what I really hated was if I went into a library or a bookshop and looked at sort of today's pony books they were kind of pink and sparkly and unicorny and um horrible and you know horses aren't like that horses are hard work and it's responsibility and it's muck and it's yeah it's, it's 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 wonderful but it's tough and I hated that kind of pinkification of the pony and so I wrote this book very much and very deliberately against that and oh, I okay. satirised that whole kind of thing in the book. Now, I'm not saying that a 10-year-old reader is going to say, oh, look, she's she's satirising the pinkification <laughs> of, of pony culture. But, yeah. reader, I am. But that book was quite a long time ago. That book came out in 2013. Okay. Could you, you started getting published about the same time as me. Was it 2010 your first book came yes, out? Yes, that's exactly right. Um, and and I was a year before. Twenty ten, yes, because yeah. I remember the first time I met you was um, at a Scooby conference, Society of Children's Book Writers and yes, Illustrators. Sorry. People. Yes, sorry, yes, <laughs> yes, um, in uh, in Winchester, um, and it was a f- couple of years after that, and I had read Threads, and um, and at the time, I think you were the most famous writer I had met. 
Oh dear. I think you have some more famous thinking. ones after that. <laughs> but, but but you're right. I remember it was we were it was I think I met you at the breakfast table or yeah. yes, I think it was a breakfast table and you were you were invited to friendly and down to earth and nice and little did I know that that we would become pals. Yeah. So you started in 2010 um, yes. and you've you've since been um, nominated for the Astra Lindgren Memorial Award, which I find absolutely amazing. Twice. Twice I know. That's, <laughs> that's, that's I just top, had to get that in. That's just the top of the I tree. Mean, you know, let's face Well, you know, let's know. It's it's it, it, it's lovely. Um, I've definitely put it on my CV and in my sort of blurb about myself. But, you know. 200 and something writers are nominated for it every year. Um, I know that it's not something I'm ever going to get. When you look at the names of the... Well, yeah, 200 the, you know, the, writers the in the in. world as opposed to, you know, in, but in the UK it, or anything. But, it, but it, yes, but it does feel it does feel very nice. And, um, yeah, it, it is lovely. I mean, it's... Ireland, I think, nominates sort of two or three writers a year. So it's it's really... I mean, and Ireland is full of some very, very good writers. So it's, it's lovely. I mean, these things, you know, th- th- these things are... When you do get nominated for them, you you think they're hugely important, and when you don't, well, I suppose you also think they're hugely important in, in another kind of a way. But yeah. I mean, we all know that there's an element of subjectivity to to awards and and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, there is, but I think um, it, it does show how many people value your work, and and often you are writing about very serious themes in a way. Well, up until now that that young people can that can therefore engage with and i i mean when i set out to write for young people i i wanted to i kind of wanted to do that too i mean threads might not seem that way but you know i do try and talk about um um what was going on with the lord's resistance army in uganda at the time and and how people of privilege can try and help people yes. who don't have those privileges and all that kind of thing and also yes sustainable fashion I, I was in my in my very pink very fluffy way I was I was <laughs> sort of doing but that I, a little bit see, I, don't, I didn't I don't think that I mean Therese was not remotely pink and fluffy I mean I love the fact that you're writing about fashion but that you were bringing in all these um I hesitate to say serious issues yeah. because you know we, um but 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 serious concerns um, and I, and I you, was, you've been that doing that, of course, in you know against the background of of Irish history and twentieth century yeah. Irish history. And yeah. I mean, star by star, there is there is so much going on. So it's it's nineteen eighteen. Your your book was a centenary book, wasn't it? Yes. And yeah. All, all my historical novels are are, are centenary books. Oh, really. okay. And we've got we've got votes for women in there, and we've. Um, we've got the end of the war. The end of the war. We've got the Spanish flu, which I'd love to come back to. Yes, um, and and we've got sort of Irish independence. Yeah, um, yeah. and and a young well, you know, as as we both did, but a young woman coming coming of age. And yes, I I talk about again with, with students. I I make them do an exercise called a child is driving because I I say that you know child's eye view. And and your child protagonist has to drive the story. So let's do a physical child as driving. Yes. And oh, and of course uh, that actually happens in Star by Star. That actually she, happens she in Star by takes, Star. She steals a car. Well, she, she has to drive takes a, car. a car. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And I, I love the fact that she doesn't. She doesn't just spin through the countryside thinking this is wonderful. I must do this for the rest of my life. She actually is terrified and car sick and yes. it, does it anyway. Yeah. Um, there's a you talk about grit. There's there's a lot of grit there. 
Yes. Um, but they're so there to set a hundred years ago and, and rereading bits of it now, I'm just thinking, my God, that that is just really chiming with me. You know, feminism is still such an important yes. issue. Everything the suffragettes fought for was still fighting for it. And it's about voting. But at the end, it's so much about voting. And this is the thing that's yes. coming out of the Black Lives Matter campaign that we're living through in such intensity right now is vote, vote, vote. It's so vote, important. Do whatever absolutely. it takes to yes. vote. Yeah, um, and stand and, up for and that, things. And that sense of of importance and you know really make sacrifices to do that if you have to um that was there in the book and it was in the middle of a pandemic i know i know and i didn't understand i knew that the pandemic in 1918 killed a lot of people i knew that i knew that yeah. it killed more people than the first world war did. so at least, I, I at least 50 million worldwide astonishing I knew I that, but I didn't know how it had killed them. I didn't know that it mm. was plague-like in its horror until yes. I read your book. And it really brought it home to me. And I found that helpful in a weird way, listening to the hideous ways that people are dying now, just to get my head around yes. it, just to understand this is what these bugs do. It's not It's not pretty at all. It's, gosh, what, yeah. what are health care providers are living through right now I know. is heroic and in 1918 um i mean obviously they knew so much less about how to how to deal with these things i mean they didn't it was a virus it, it, it and it has been identified it was a flu virus but it wasn't like any other flu virus that had been identified before and the way it attacked people was was atypical um it attacked very much the young and the healthy it attacked people very quickly. There were so many stories of people who set off, you know, who set off to work and then dropped down dead in the street My because it, they were attacked so quickly by this. Um, so many horrific stories, and it sort of attacked all your organs. People, um, you know, people's lungs disintegrated and they 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 drowned in their own blood. I mean, it was it was horrendous. And obviously, as with today, um, it came not during a time of otherwise, you know, sort of, you know, tranquility. It came at a time of, of huge unrest. And I mean, the world was four years into this hideous war. There, you know, there was unrest everywhere. There was massive movement of people, all of which, of course, helped to um, spread the germ around the world. Yes. I mean, because so, it wasn't Spanish, was it? That, that, no, that just it was happened nothing... to be the, the label that got stuck onto it. And do you know why? The reason why it was known as the Spanish flu is because um, Spain was neutral in the First World War. Mm. And when this, the, so this, the, there was a the first wave of, of the flu in spring 1918. And, you know, it was, it, 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 it was pretty, um, it was pretty widespread, but it wasn't, it didn't kill that many people, the first wave of it. It was, it was sort of milder. Um, and really, then by summer, it sort of became obvious that this was something much, much worse. But um, reporting of it was very much suppressed because obviously it was not very good for morale to think yeah. that actually, you know, because it, it really affected soldiers because obviously you think about it, they're all sort of, you know, in camps and, and it, there were, it affected a lot of people in transit camps and that mm. kind of thing waiting to, to embark. And... Um, Obviously, the authorities in, in so many countries didn't want people knowing that actually their soldiers weren't just dying on the battlefield. They were also dying of this hideous virus that they didn't seem to be able to contain or, or you know, do very much about. So the news of it was very, very much suppressed. But in Spain, they were neutral in the war, so they didn't have that kind of need to keep up 
morale during wartime. So they reported on it and it then became known as the Spanish flu. But at the time, it was known as all sorts of different things. Yeah. Um, the Germans called it the Tommy flu. <laughs> um, the uh, the British called it, you know, the Jerry flu. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, some some Republicans in Ireland called it, you know, the, the British flu. Um, so it, it it was called all sorts of things, um, depending on your depending on your own point of view. Um, very much sort of vilified and seen as as the enemy. However, you identified that enemy. And yeah, it's interesting that now we try and have these these kind of supernatural supernatural supernational institutions like the the WHO who try and yes. stop that from happening, stop it the new one being called the Wuhan flu. Yes. Um and it's so interesting that po- populist politicians seem to want to revert yeah. to that as if we haven't learned yeah. anything in the last hundred I know. years. There I know. you go. Um so I mean Star by Star just has so many themes running through it. And yes, it's it's set in this this sort of so it seems to start with this quiet home, um, you know, with with the gardener and um, and the, the the slightly mad man upstairs in the bedroom. Um, yeah. And yet well, there, there isn't there isn't a garden there isn't a gardener. Stella Stella oh, yes, becomes the gardener because Stella becomes the gardener. Yeah. There isn't a gardener. Yeah, <laughs> um, the gardening. Um, yes, and yet so many other themes kind of come out of it. What is it? Do you when you sit down to write these books? Do you have is there something that you want to say to start with? I mean, you say that a lot of them are centenary books. How, how, the, how do you the plan? The three centenary books have have all been um, they've all been set against a very particular background. So, so it started with um, name upon name, which came out in twenty fifteen, and that was to commemorate the Easter Rising mm. in Ireland. So, you know, we're, and then Star by Star was commissioned for the nineteen eighteen the commemoration of the nineteen eighteen election. So. Really, and then Hope Against Hope was 1921 and the, the partition of Ireland. So all of them had that as a starting point. They were going to be about this sort of very, very important and, and controversial and, and problematic time in history. And what I did with with all of them was I thought, well, who would really... I knew that my, my in every one, my protagonist is a 15-year-old girl. Okay. And, and then I would think, well, who... What kind of 15-year-old girl would be most affected by this because you you talked um about you know the importance of the young person driving the story mm-hmm. so i thought well who would be driving what what 15 year old girl would be driving a story um set in 1918 so so with star by star i decided well she's too young to actually be a suffragette herself because well she because she just is yeah um so i thought well, what about if her mother was a suffragette what about if she'd been brought up in that kind of radical tradition and what about if I removed her from that radical tradition and put her in a small town in Ireland? Well, what would remove her? And I thought, well, 1918, it's the it's in the middle of this terrible pandemic, so I'll just kill her mother. Yeah. So I killed her mother before the story, shipped her off to Ireland, and uh, really, the story just kind of flowed from that. It's very much thinking about putting a person into a situation. So with Hope Against Hope, which is a 1921 book, I thought, well, what what kind of what kind of place in in Belfast would be the most interesting place to write about against a background of partition and a new state forming, and um, and I decided that I would set it in a hostel for girls, a sort of a cross community hostel for girls. So it's about this feminist space, which is attacked for its progressive values. It's attacked for being 
um, a place full of women, really. Mm. Um, it's a sort of a, a haven of, of, of tolerance and diversity in this city, in this country, which is very much fractured. But obviously the, the, the diversity brings its own kind of challenges. So the, the kind of the hatred is, is, is both outside the hostel, but also, but also inside it. So, and it's about young women very much kind of standing up for diversity and, and, and I suppose protecting each other and, and protecting those, those values, um, in a city which was literally on fire. Yes. And the main character comes from, um, a little town on the border because I, obviously I wanted to write about partition. I mean, you, and you were talking about how, like with Star by Star, you know, the flu is still relevant, feminism is still relevant, voting is still relevant. And I think the best historical fiction will always have something to say about the time in which it's written as well as the time in which it's set. Yes. So, you know, so similarly, this book in 1921, um, I mean, absolutely, it's my anti-Brexit book. You know, I'm, I'm not <laughs> I'm not shying away from that in right. the slightest. Yes. Um, I write about the, the, the horror of, of carving places up yes. and, and making places smaller and looking inwards and not looking outwards. Um. Well, yes. How, and, and, how do you feel about being a Northern Irish writer with all of that carving that has gone on? Because you're both really, aren't you? You're an Irish writer and a Northern yeah. Irish writer. And one of the wonderful things about being a writer in any part of Ireland is the whole kind of art scene in Ireland is very island wide. Yes. Um, and yes. I think has been island wide, um, I think for a long, long time. So I am included in pretty much anything you know I'm eligible for pretty much anything that's that's sort of available to Irish writers mm. and then I but I also um obviously a UK writer so I mean for me that's kind of an advantage and and I'm I'm very happy to exploit that advantage <laughs> but but in 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 you know in all seriousness um a lot of my work is across the border um getting easily over the border and not just physically but you know but mentally sort of mm. getting easily over the border so that the border has become less of a, a kind of a scary thing than it was when I was growing up that that was just such a joy um not just to me but obviously but to the whole island and mm. yeah so I mean when I say it's it's my anti-Brexit book it's, it's very much my anti-Brexit book from an Irish point of view because I, I genuinely believe that when all this sort of um, while these preparations were going on for the Brexit vote, I honestly don't think anybody thought, oh, what about Ireland? That's going to have some pretty significant uh, complications. I honestly think that with the kind of um, <laughs> colonial sort of arrogance, they just thought, well, you know, it doesn't matter or they just didn't notice. And then suddenly... Well, I don't you know. know. I mean, I, I wonder... So that I think anybody who had any expertise on why this was going to be very, very difficult, going towards France or going towards Dublin, I think their voices were so rapidly suppressed. Well, well that's the thing, exactly. So the people that you know, the, the sort of the, the populist voices, um, weren't weren't thinking about the implications for Ireland. But I mean, I'm I'm or or I'm even ch- thinking and deciding that it was a sacrifice worth making. Yeah, yeah. Which which yeah. <laughs> which, which it isn't. isn't. Can I just say here? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Very, oh yes, it's it's awful that this is something that is coming coming towards you now, as opposed to just receding fast into the distance, which is I know. where it should be. I know. Um, yeah, so, yeah I, so the, I, was, I was interested as just as you were saying when when I was when I was reading 
about you that yeah this I had sort of perhaps I had expected that because you're based in Northern Ireland that you know there, there would be that kind of Northern Irish tag attached to you but but it wasn't it wasn't there you I, I just I love this idea I mean as as you rightly say the Irish writing community is so vibrant and and for young Very people good. it's yes. extremely vibrant there's a wonderful organization called Children's Books Ireland I mean they are absolutely fantastic um they're you know their their mission is to to put reading um at the heart of every child's life in in Ireland and they are relentless in their campaigning and in their championing of of writers and, mm. and of books for children i mean they they're a wonderful organization and they are you know i mean they for so for example um one of the last event, in fact the last event that i attended before lockdown was the launch of their awards for this year and um and they they had the launch event in Belfast and and they have done for a few years so they're they're very very good at um not just paying lip service to it being an, an all island community but but really making that um you know really really kind of walking the walk for that as well literally well not literally yeah. I mean they get on the train <laughs> and come up to Belfast but yeah um, yeah that's good and, and I, I I you know there will be there's a huge um there's a huge appetite to ensure that that kind of thing continues but obviously you know at the moment um not only is is the border um you know becoming you know a harder border than than it it had been you know since the good friday agreement but also we've got you know two different approaches to to handling the current pandemic so you know there you know, there isn't an island wide approach to mm. that which one's Which working is, better out you know, of interest? I'm not an expert. Um, I'm not an expert, but but what I will say is that that um, the Republic of Ireland locked down much much earlier than yeah. the UK did, and they they seem to be sort of reaping the benefits of that. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm not an expert. Um, I I have to say I am very glad that the, that the powers are devolved and that in Northern Ireland. Thankfully, we once we once again have an assembly which we didn't have yeah. for several years, and I'm just so grateful that we got an assembly up and running before this hit because, um, you know, we are able to have a, a Northern Ireland focused approach rather than having to just take everything from Westminster. <laughs> which who would want to be doing that right now? Okay. Anyway, moving moving swiftly. I on. think we should. Yes. <laughs> um, back to other things. So I, I know that that you. Um, you have worked a lot as a is, is teach the right word it probably isn't at, at Arvin mentor tutor what what do you guys call yourselves uh, I think Arvin tutor mm-hmm. yes um I, I'd love to talk about Arvin actually because Arvin has been a massive part of my my whole kind of writing journey um in that in 20 2007 I won a short I, I was unpublished I won a short story competition and I used the money to go to Arvin and it was um a course on young adult fiction mm. and the tutors were it was a dream team Mallory Blackman oh. and Lee Weatherly okay both of whom were lovely both of whom were really really good tutors and both of whom saw promise in my work and gave me a lot of encouragement um, and Lee in particular um, you know sort of stayed in touch with me and, and was just you know that I think every writer um, if they're lucky has 
a writer who's further along the journey kind of championing them and, and helping them and, and mentoring them and, and Lee was very much that for me yeah so that one week at Arvon I then it's it, it kind of I went to that week as somebody who I mean I'd been a teacher for many years I'd always had this ambition to be a writer writing was very much a hobby I'd started to take it a bit more seriously but I left that Arvon week absolutely determined that I was going to be published and also with just so many more skills and knowledge that I had than I had at the start of the week so I knew what I had I had the first 50,000 words of what became Taking Flight my first novel yeah it was very rough um there were all sorts of things wrong with it which Mallory and Lee were very you know keen to point out but they also (laughs) they also saw the promise in it so you know fast forward 10 years from that and and I'm tutoring at Arvon um I've tutored Arvon quite often for mostly for schools groups and sort of um like you know um like vulnerable young adults and sort Mm -hmm. of people like that um and then last year, for the first time, I was invited to tutor an open course, which just really felt like the wheel kind of coming full circle. And um, I met some some wonderful writers in that course. It was, again, it was writing young adult fiction, um, one of whom I then have sort of gone on to, to, to do, you know, to sort of mentor a little bit with, with her manuscript. So it, it, it does very much feel like, yeah, it kind of comes full circle, but also I think the the writing community, particularly the children's writing community, is very very good at um, at just sort of helping people along and trying to 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 share some of the um the experience that 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 we have. I mean, people are very. I mean, even things like this podcast, people are very open about talking about their their journeys and, yeah. and making it clear that you know, like my journey to publication wasn't an easy one. I wrote a book which was never published because it was crap. And I spent a lot of time, you know, getting rejections and, and, and all of that. But um, but I just kept going and getting better. Yeah. But I wouldn't have done that without the encouragement of other people. Yeah, it, it is so important. I mean, for me, it was my, my screenwriting course, actually, yes. that was helpful. And, and funnily enough, it, um, uh, an Irish friend of mine who I did the course with and, and we, we were just each other's sanity during those yes. times. But I've been I've been going through the, sh- the shed recently to take stuff into storage and things and discovering lots of old folders of writing. Yes. And I found um, my submission to the Times travel competition, which I think I did in 1999. Wow. And I was shortlisted. I was very excited. And we all got sent to Chicago, which... God, oh my I goodness! So exotic. much. It was wonderful. But then I made the mistake of writing my piece about the graveyard, which is fascinating, but probably not ideal for times travel writing. Um, so I didn't win, but I did get Aww. to sit to, next to Bill Bryson at the dinner, wow. which was as good as that sounds. I love graveyards, and I love Bill Bryson. So, well, you know, the, the, the Chicago great. one is is truly amazing because it's just full of so many famous people and fascinating yes. stories, and, uh-huh. and 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 one of the tombstones is the birth of minimalist architecture, which. You know, it was just wow. It was all great, but but it was nineteen ninety nine, I think, and uh-huh. and I got published in two thousand and nine, right? So yeah, so it was a full yeah. full ten years of trying very hard before but, anything happened. I mean, I'm I'm personally I'm quite I'm happy about that. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I look at at sort of these you know at young writers who are very much kind of you know celebrated and and everything, and there is this whole kind of cult of the young mm-hmm. and everything. I and I was forty. Mm, I was but I don't too. mind yeah yeah because by the time I was published I really like I'm 
I look back at my first book and I'm and I'm proud of it. It's a good book, Taking Flight. Mm. Um, if I'd been published, you know, ten years before that, I would not have written a good book. Yeah. And also being able to write the next one and the next one, it's it's yes. good. Well, as you, you've talked about, you know, the, the pressure is on. You can suddenly get something back that you've got to take apart and reassemble and you yeah. have X months to do it. And and at the end of that process, other people are lined up to do their part of the process. Mm-hmm. So although we can be a little bit deaverish and say, well, actually, I can't submit, it does mean that a whole schedule has to be redevised and publishers yeah. don't like that and you lose your yeah. launch slot. And yeah, yes. you just have to be able to park your bum on the chair and do the work and do it and I think by the time I mean that that only happened to me with um that I mean that only happened to me with my eighth book um the, well no that's not strictly speaking to straight oh sorry <laughs> edit out all that incoherent <laughs> stuff that's not strictly speaking true um still falling which was my fourth book mm. also needed a massive edit which definitely helped the book um, but other than that, it was a long time since I'd handed in anything where, where they hadn't said, oh, it's wonderful, thank you know. Um, and I'm glad that by the time it came along, I did have the the ability to sit down and, and just deal with it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I find it really helpful that, um, because I've just sold my first adult book, which is coming I know. out in a few months' I'm time. I'm very excited about it. I'm, and it's, 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 it's on my list to buy for, for Christmas presents oh, for so many people. Thank you. It's coming out on my wedding anniversary, which I'm really? so oh happy my goodness. about. Shit, That's obviously, so lovely. shit coincidence, but it is very nice. That's um, really nice. So what date, what date is that? 29th of like October, to say. folks. <laughs> my sister's birthday. Oh, there we go. And it's my brother's birthday today, and he's the producer of this show, so Aww. it all comes together. Um so and and yes hackers i don't use it as a code so um it's all fine yes <laughs> um so they want to publish quite quickly and it does mean i have to write book 2 and 3 pretty fast yes. and yeah it's it's very useful that i have a lot of experience of writing through the tricky bits so that i can just get my yes. head down and and yeah do which is why I was editing until three o'clock this morning. <laughs> I know, I know. Fair play to you. Um, I'll have a nap this afternoon. It's all okay. Good. Um, I'd love us to be able to do some teaching workshop stuff together at some stage because we sort oh, of did. We did a training course together. We and, did. And I, I loved fund. your style. Yes, we were. We were both um, doing this this thing to be consultant fellows with the Royal Literary Fund and teaching academic writing. And you had these wonderful slides about the mountain of writing a thesis, as it was in that case. And and just, you know, how how to take it one step at a time. Yeah. And it is so helpful because that is all we can do. And I do think about that, yes, when I'm when actually it, it, I'm sticking my ice pick in the ice at yeah, two thirty in the morning. One it more really step. helps me such a lot, and it's it's basically just um, it's because I, I mean I live in the mountains, so it's probably just the way I have um, kind of visualized what is essentially just breaking things down into stages, writing a first draft, and I regard that as sort of base camp, mm. and. Um, and even the way I write, I mean, when I set out when I set out to write the book I'm writing now, which is an adult novel, as I said, set in 1933, where actually the main character is is Stella from Star by Star, um, because I uh, she's just my favorite character. Yes, so I just oh, have that's to kind so of, lovely. So, so she's 30 
and she's uh, um, yeah, she's doing something which is very very different from what she's doing in Star by Star. But 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 um, anyway, hopefully the book will be published and you can you can find out about it. But um, yeah, I mean, I said I set out to write that book in the middle of this pandemic with huge huge kind of anxiety, not in my own environment, thinking, can I do this? Can I do this? And I just applied that whole like that idea of the mountain which was basically well you know if you do a thousand words a day five days a week you know then by this date you will have you know eighty thousand words of a first draft Mm. and then you know you can do you can edit and then you get a next draft and then you can edit that and then you get a next draft and i just when i um because i was a royal literary fund fellow as you were too for 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 three years Mm. and what i found about students and their writing and i think it's probably not that different if it's academic or creative. A lot of people, they you know, they they don't really see the process. They just sort of sit down and write, and then it doesn't always go well, and they don't really understand why it doesn't go well. But I think if you understand the the process and very importantly break the process down, mm-hmm. so that you're um you're you know you're only trying to focus on what you can get done on that day or in that week. For me, that's really, really important because if I just saw the, um, you know, the, if I was just looking up at the summit of the mountain, I, I'd just be too overwhelmed. And I think where I first, where I really, really honed that idea of the mountain was in 2015, I was asked, I was commissioned to write my first historic novel, which was Name Upon Name. It's, it's a very short novel and uh, set in 1916. And what happened was um, my publishers wanted to have a book to commemorate the centenary of the Easter Rising, which is really massive in, in Irish history. It's a real turning point. Yeah. And they, they didn't ask me. They asked somebody else. And for, for very sort of good personal reasons, this person wasn't able to fulfil the brief. But didn't they didn't know that until, um you know, sort of three months before they needed the book submitted. So they came to me because they knew I liked historical fiction and I'd written... I'd written um, a short story set in World War One for Walker's collection, The Great War. Mm. And they said, look, you know, could you possibly do this? But the thing is, you've only got three months to do it. I'd always wanted to have a historical novel published. And I remember pitching historical novels to um, to various people who's who's and, and one of the one of the one of the responses I got was um, you're not well enough known for us to sell a historical novel by you. Um, you'd need to be like Jacqueline Wilson or Michael Morpurgo for us to be able to sell a historical novel. So anyway, um, so that was encouraging. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, that was not my that that was that was a UK publisher. But anyway, so they came to me, Little Island, my Irish publishers who publish most of my books, said, "Could you possibly write a, a novel set in 1916 in by three months' time?" And I was just not going to not do it because although I was hugely terrified and daunted by the prospect. I wasn't going to pass up the chance to be published as a historical novelist. Luckily, I knew a lot about the um, about the period. I couldn't if they'd said, you know, would you, can you can you write a novel about I don't know, say the Vietnam War in three months? I couldn't do it because you know I wouldn't know enough. Yeah. But anyway, but I did that thing where I thought, right, I've got three months, so I've got one month to do the research and planning and and plotting and that kind of thing. One month to just write a first draft, and I wrote a thousand words a day. And funnily enough, the finished novel is 31,000 words. <laughs> it's very short, as I said. And then one month to edit. And that's what I did. And uh, and I got it done in time. And that was really, really tough and stressful. 
but it was a really, really good lesson to me because it taught me not to waste time. And also one of the things I get asked about a lot as a historical novelist is um, is research. Yeah. And I love research and I do my research thoroughly. Um, so, for example, for, you know, for the Spanish flu, I mean, I spent two days in the Welcome Collection in, in the Welcome Library in, in London finding out, you know, everything I could about the Spanish flu. So I do my research very thoroughly, but... I also try and do it quite smartly. So if I, when I'm writing the first draft, if I come upon some, some little detail, like yesterday I was writing the first draft um, of this novel set in 1933 and the um, there was something in it about a car and I thought, oh, I wonder what, what cars were popular in 1933. Yeah. And I could have, you know, gone and spent three hours online looking at lovely pictures of, of classic cars. Yes. Or I could just quickly... <laughs> quickly put in you know a note you know that I can then check later when I'm when I'm editing because oh you're so disciplined Sheena I, I, I do try, I I do try to be at the cars well you see I, I do try to be but name upon name taught me that I I, I just didn't have the luxury of doing that yeah it's very I do sensible. check I do check everything um but you see I I could get into such a wormhole of research that I would that I that I would th- I, this is a car that is owned by a character who appears once, mm. you know it absolutely doesn't matter what kind of car it is as long as it's a car that people would have in 1933. Yeah, I don't actually need to become an expert. <laughs> so <laughs> tempting though it is. I know, yeah. I know. Very wise. Um, you mentioned very briefly there that uh, you've been writing short stories. And just as yes. a last thing, I wanted to ask you a little bit about that because I sometimes have students who are interested in writing mm. short stories and I haven't had short stories published and I don't really know what the market is for. Yes. So I'm, I'm interested to know. I have had several short stories, well, quite a few short stories published. Um, mostly, I think, two of them have been published in anthologies, one for adults and one for young people. Um, the others have been published as a result of winning competitions. Um, and I, I, before I wrote Taking Flight, I, I had a little bit of success with, with short stories in, in competitions. Um, and yeah, for a while I, I, I was writing them quite regularly. And then I, when I started writing the novels in the, fir- the first few years that I was writing the novels, I was teaching full time. Um, I gave that up in 2013, but I was really, you know, uh, there was, I had a horse to look after, a full-time teaching job and novels to write. So uh, the, the short stories really took a back seat and I didn't write any short stories for several years. And then a few years ago, when I was in a bit of a kind of a, a slump in my writing and I decided to take six months away from writing novels and I decided to write a short, one short story a month for six months. And this was in, I think, maybe 20... Ooh, I honestly can't say. 2016, maybe? It was a few years ago. Mm. Anyway, I, I took the six months out and I and I wrote six short stories, all of which, you know, obviously I, I, I thought were, were good short stories. I thought they were better than short stories with which I'd won, you know, reasonably major competitions in the past. And, um, and I sent them all out, you know, to competitions and they just didn't do anything nothing at all one of them then got published in an anthology and then a couple of months ago I dusted several of them down and sent them off again to different competitions so I'm definitely you know I I seem to be able to write short stories um, and you know maybe kind of eight to ten years ago I seemed to be writing short stories that seemed to chime with what 
competition judges at any rate okay. we're looking for. Right. But I, I, I have possibly lost the knack. I don't know. I think there's, um, when I look at short stories that do win competitions and things, they're often quite, um, quite experimental, and that's really not just that's really not me. Yes. I'm, you know, I'm not an experimental writer. Right. Yeah. Mm, interesting. I, <laughs> I think all you've done is kind of com- confirm my thoughts that um, I'm not sure that I can I can help the. I find them the really. Story I find well. them really difficult. I find yeah. writing novels much easier than writing short stories. Yeah, I mean, I think I naturally write to about ninety thousand words, probably, yeah. which is yeah. not ideal for it for short stories or indeed for for low middle grade, which is an, another age group that I would really love yes. to write for. Yes. Uh, you've managed it with your you know your your lovely thirty one thousand words on the nose, but I would find well, that very challenging. Well, yeah, it's funny because then the next book, so so Siobhan Parkinson, my publisher, she really likes short books for all sorts of reasons. Um, some of them. Um, a certain some of them you know sort of literary reasons um you know if you think about something like great gatsby or of mice and men you know they're they're short to the lighthouse oh, you know they're all short i love those um, yes it's something about a yeah. forty thousand word novel that i just absolutely. adore absolutely yeah exactly so 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 partly for sort of um literary reasons she likes short novels mm. but i think also they, they they do make quite a lot of commercial sense and in ireland there's a very sort of vibrant schools market i mean schools I mean, a lot of my books have been taught in schools or used in schools. Mm. And obviously, uh, a shorter book is going to be much more sort of classroom friendly. Yeah. So Name Upon Name was 31,000. Star by Star came out at about 45. And Hope Against Hope came out at, I think, about 50 or so. Oh, that's very interesting. Um, All my young adult novels before that were kind of around the 80 mark. Yes. And um, the... The adult novel. I mean, I've I've written a couple of adult novels. One of which, funnily enough, I can I can probably talk about in a quite irrelevant way. It's called The Greater Malady, and it was all about the Spanish flu. Oh, um, right. Yeah, and nobody would buy it. I mean, nobody no, nobody wanted it. Who's interested in the flu? Honestly. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> nobody nobody would buy it. And uh, when I was then writing Star by Star, obviously I had all this information, all yeah. this research that I'd done about the flu, so it was as easy to kind of put that into the book um and then i wrote another adult novel which which my agent has at the moment and um you know obviously i'm, I'm hoping that, that that she'll sell that and then there's the one that i'm that i'm working on right now um which my agent really you know she 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 likes the sound of it she says it's it's what people are looking for right now but you know <laughs> you, you just don't know until you try do you i mean we you know we we, we you know we we both know people and you know who've you know well I think you know with with writing it your fortunes can ebb and flow I've had times where I thought my career was over I've had times where I've felt I've been really kind of crest in a wave and sort of everything in between I think the only thing that can keep us going is the next book exactly um and I'm so glad I'm and now I can picture you at the kitchen table with with your partner strumming his guitar <laughs> and, and you with your headphones on <laughs> and the dog and the yeah. dog um oh, he does, he's not strumming he's like he's he's a really really good guitarist he's 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 playing intricate things like you know cavatina and that sort of thing oh you lucky um, thing which How is very wonderful. nice that sounds excellent <laughs> Great. Well, thank you for sparing the time to talk to me about all of this today. It's been not at all. It was so a real honour and pleasure. I love the podcast, and I and the first time I heard it, I thought, oh, I'd like to be on that. I wonder, if, <laughs> wonder if, an obscure, if an obscure Irish writer could get oh, yeah, invited right. onto that podcast. Yeah, so. sure. <laughs> thank well, you very much. I can't wait until we can actually see each other in person again. I know. It's not too long. I know.
So, yes, thanks. And till next time, Sheena. Bye. Yes, thanks a million. I'd like to thank Christopher Pett for editing and producing this episode of Pre-Published. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. You can also join us on Twitter at Pre-Pub Podcast and find me at my children's books website, which is sophiabennett.com, or my adult crime series website, which is sjbennettbooks.com.